Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so thankful again that you're joining us as well. Well, I don't know, most of y'all are probably not aware, but about six months ago, I joined a gym. And one of the reasons you're not aware is because I've literally seen zero results. And (laughs) I know it's crazy, and I'm not very happy about it. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going to go there in person. (laughs) And and I'm going to find out what I've been paying for. Because, I mean, it's ridiculous. And the truth is, that's a joke, obviously, but the truth is I've gotten the same results as I would have had I been paying for a gym membership, so I'm ahead. Because <laughs> I've had gym memberships before, as we all have, that we do not use. Um, and while that is a joke, it applies to the series that we're starting this morning. Because it's so easy to say that we believe in God and that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior And then stop there. If we've done that sincerely, if we've sincerely accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then yes, we are saved. And by that word, I mean that when we die, we will spend eternity with God in His kingdom. But too often, believers stop there and are satisfied to enter eternity as a spiritual infant. Because when we come alive in Christ Jesus, we are literally starting out in a new life, just like we do when we're physically born uh, into this world as babies. But we were never intended to stay that way. So we're going to take a look real quickly at two passages that speak to this point. The first verse or or chapter is Hebrews 5, 12, and 14, and it will be up on the screen. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The believers are being told that by this time they should have grown up and moved on, but they're still requiring milk because they're still spiritual infants. They're still immature. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 is another similar example. It says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So once again, this is referring to an immature believer who they've been saved, but any work that they've done uh, in in their life has not been through God and and through his leading, but if they've been busy, they've been busy about doing their own thing. And if they haven't been busy at all, well, they got the same result because nothing that they've done is going to last. It's going to be burned up. And it says they get into heaven or they enter into God's kingdom as if through a fire. Like everything was lost, but whew, I got myself. 
And that's great. That's a good thing. It's better than being burned up in the fire. Uh, you've probably also heard, if you've ever looked into the scripture, that it's like you have the smell of smoke on your, on your clothes. You know, if anybody that sat around a campfire for very long knows that if you leave that and go around other people, they know you've been around a campfire. You, you reek of smoke. And it's the same principle. We would, we would get in, but, but smelling of smoke, just barely getting in with nothing to show but ourselves. And I believe both of these passages were meant to challenge the hearers, almost to insult them, to wake them up and encourage them to press on, to not be satisfied with the bare minimum. And I hope these verses still have the same effect on us today, because I think many Christians today just don't know any better, or they're okay with the bare minimum. Thinking that, well, if we can just live our life basically the way we want to, if not much is going to be asked of me, if I can be comfortable, if I can just do what I want to do and still make it in, I'm okay with that. That seems to be the attitude for many Christians today. But that type of Christian life was never meant to be an option. It's not like we're walking onto a car lot and selecting the most basic model and saying, you know, I'm okay without all the frills, the heated seats, the, you know, serious radio and all those things. I just need a car that's going to get me from point A to point B, and I'm okay with that basic model. Well, the Christian life doesn't have a basic model, or it's not supposed to. And what the apostles were teaching in those two scriptures that we just read, it wasn't to, to say, well, if you do that, great. Like I said, it was, to me it comes across more like they were trying to insult them and poke them and say, like, come on, guys, you're still drinking milk. By now you should have been eating solid food. It's time to start growing up. They were trying to encourage them, to press them, to begin to grow up spiritually. If we are to stay spiritual infants, we're a lot like the joke that I opened with. We bought the membership, but we aren't using it. We're not participating with any of the equipment, but we still want the option to be able to go to God and complain that we're not getting these miraculous results that we expect without doing anything on our part. If we are going to mature in our faith, we have to put out effort. And in this series, we're going to look at what I'm calling grace on the other side of salvation. I say that because we, and me definitely included, tend to think the work of grace ended at salvation. It's true that God's grace is absolutely necessary for us to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no question to that. Romans 3:23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. So God's grace is a gift. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn it on our own. And yes, grace is central to our salvation. But that's just the beginning of the work of grace in our lives. God's grace continuously empowers us to live the life that we are called to live in His kingdom on this earth. We're going to look at a couple definitions of grace. The first is the unmerited love and favor of God toward human beings. 
divine influence acting in a person to make the person pure, morally strong. A special virtue, gift, or help given to a person by God. And another definition of grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. Divine assistance given to humans, not only for their rebirth, but the maturing process that follows. Think about these definitions for a moment. A divine influence. A divine assistance. God himself acting in our lives to accomplish things that we could never accomplish on our own. To give us strength, the power, the ability to do what he's called us to do and to live the life that he's called us to live in and through Christ Jesus, as Pastor Darrell talked about last week. Now that we have this definition of grace, let's look at what I mean by this title of the series, Burning Grace. I mentioned it last Sunday as we were closing, and I said it kind of sounds heretical, and it does to me. But I assure you it's not if we understand what I mean by that. And to, to break it down with a si- simple example, there's, there's a question that I can ask you that will help us get this started, but only if you all answer it correctly. So the pressure's on. I hope you think the way I think. What do we say that cars do with fuel? Burn it. Yay. Two for two. First service got it too. Cars burn fuel. They consume fuel when they're running. What use is a car if it doesn't have any fuel to burn? Nothing. It's useless. It cannot uh, fulfill the purpose that it was intended to fulfill if it doesn't have any fuel. Yes, if your battery has a little bit of charge, you may be able to listen to the radio for a while. Or you might be able to turn on the interior light or roll down the windows, but you're not going anywhere. Even if you have an electric car, the battery has to be charged for you to go anywhere. If that charge is depleted, and if it's a, what do they call them, dual gas and and battery, if it's lost both of those, again, it's not going anywhere. And the whole point is a car has to have fuel to be able to fulfill the purpose that it was created for. We work the same way. Our physical bodies run on food and water. If we were to consistently cut off those two inputs of fuel, we will die. We have to have those to continue. In the same manner, we need fuel for our spiritual life to function and grow so we can mature in Christ Jesus. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and become alive spiritually, our spiritual life needs fuel to run and grow. Does anybody here this morning feel like you're running on empty? Spiritually, physically? You just don't feel like there's anything left in your tank? There's no gas there for you to run on. You don't feel like you have the power or the ability to do what you believe God's calling you to do or what you feel like you should be doing if you are following him like, like he teaches, like the word of God shows us. One of the reasons for that is that's because we need to be filled with spiritual fuel to run, to follow God the way he's called us. And I believe our spiritual fuel is the grace of God. Not only is our spiritual fuel, is it our spiritual fuel, it was the spiritual fuel that Jesus Christ ran on when he was on earth. And I'll show you that in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 17. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus Christ, we have all received grace upon grace, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was full of grace. The grace of God. Think about that wording for a moment here. John's not describing a characteristic of Jesus. John didn't say that Jesus had the quality of grace or that he was graceful while he was here. John said Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth and that it was from that fullness, the fullness of the grace in Christ Jesus, that all of us, the believers, have received grace upon grace. Don't leave God's grace on the other side of your salvation. We all need God's grace to function today. Every moment of every day, we are only going to be sustained by the grace of God. Grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. And yes, that includes salvation. But here's the big perspective shift. This is what I want us to see this morning. As believers, we should be consuming more of God's grace, living the Christian life that He has called us to live, than we would ever consume covering up sin. I want to explain that. And this is, this is where that, where the heretical title comes from, the burning grace. There's a, there's something I read about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. It was in a book titled, uh, The Great Omission. And it was written by the late theologian Dallas Willard. And the statement that he wrote in that book gave me an entirely new perspective on grace. It's a perspective shift that I believe can transform our maturing process in Christ Jesus. I believe we all know we need to mature in Christ. We need to grow. We need to do the things that Jesus Christ taught us. He actually told the disciples, go out and tell them, teach them everything that I have commanded you to do. And we know that part, but we struggle with the ability to do that part. And so when I saw this, it just made me see all of these things in a whole new way. And I believe that if we can see this and believe it, that it will transform this process of maturing in Christ Jesus. If we'll receive it and live by it. Here's what he wrote. If you would really like to be into consuming grace, just lead a holy life. The true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. Become the kind of person who routinely does what Jesus did and said. You will consume much more grace by leading a holy life than you will by sinning. Because every holy act you do will have to be upheld by the grace of God. And that upholding is totally the unmerited favor of God in action. That's grace. 
that God would uphold every holy action. We just read a definition of grace a moment ago that it's God doing in our life what we could never do for ourselves. Well, that is every single holy act we could ever do. We cannot, we can't do one apart from the power and grace of God. And what he's saying is this grace is our fuel. Grace is the fuel that we need to burn to live the life that God has called us to live. And there's no other way to do it. We can't accomplish anything that God has called us to do apart from the grace of God. Has this thought ever crossed your mind? That's why I said a moment ago, since I read that statement about burning grace like a 747 on takeoff, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind because it just is burning in my heart that I'm like, I need that grace. I need God's grace every moment of every day, and there's no way to do it apart from that. And that's our fuel to live. It takes far more grace to live for Christ than it does to come to Christ. To put Dallas's comment in perspective, a 747 will burn five gallons of fuel to go one mile in the air. On takeoff, it uses 425 gallons to go a mile. And it takes about two miles to take off. So almost 900 gallons of fuel to go to two miles when in flight it would take 10 gallons of fuel. And what Dallas is saying is that's the level of grace that we need to burn to live out our daily Christian life. To do one holy act for God. Because Jesus Christ said it himself, apart from Him, what can we do? Nothing. Nothing. Everything that we build that is apart from Him is what that other scripture said is going to burn up in the end. Anything that we do apart from Him is useless and worthless and will be burned up. Apart from God's grace, we will accomplish nothing. We saw a moment ago that Jesus was full of grace and fueled by grace to follow God as He was led. Pastor Darrell shared from John chapter 5.30 last week, which is where Jesus said that He never did anything or said anything that wasn't from the Father. He only followed what God the Father led him to do and led him to say. Jesus was fully reliant on the grace of God. God the Father acting in, the li- in His life to accomplish what He could only accomplish, or what He could never accomplish in His flesh. The Word tells us that Jesus Christ was God in flesh, just like we are. And so Jesus Christ had to completely rely on the grace of the Father and the Holy Spirit to do everything that He did because He was walking in total obedience to the Father. He was walking in total, unlimited grace. It's impossible for us to do in our own strength and ability what God is calling us to do. The same way that it's impossible for us to be saved by our own works or our own ability. Both can only be accomplished through grace. We all know that Jesus didn't need grace for salvation. He was born sinless. He was born of a virgin. He never committed any wrong. So He absolutely didn't need grace for salvation like we do. He led that perfect life, yet He had to be 
full of grace, as we read in chapter John, John chapter 1, to live the life, the example life for all humanity. If Jesus needed God the Father and God the Holy Spirit acting out in His life to accomplish what only they could do in His human life, how much more do we need? We need all the grace God has. But thankfully, He's got enough for all of us. We're going to look through quite a few scriptures here quickly. But before we do, I just want to say, I, I took a sampling of these scriptures. If you go online to like BibleGateway.com, you can type in grace. It'll pull up every scripture in the whole Bible that has grace mentioned in it. And you can just read down all these scriptures. But I'm telling you, looking at these scriptures with this perspective, not just looking at it as it was the grace that covered my sin, but the power of God to live my life today and do everything that He's calling me to do, you'll see these Scriptures in a whole new light. And think about them that way as we read through these. The first one is in 2 Corinthians 9.8 and says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's grace is available for every problem and need that we face. God's grace frees us from slavery to sin and guilt and shame. God's grace allows us to pursue good works. God's grace enables us to be all that God intended us to be. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We have to remember that grace means that God is acting in our lives to accomplish what only He could accomplish. If we know that, then we never have a reason for pride in our life. Every act, every miracle, everything that God accomplishes, we know is only by His grace. Acts 4.33 says, And with great power... The apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Great grace. That sounds like a lot of grace. A great amount of the unmerited favor of God. A great amount of God accomplishing what only He could accomplish through their lives and their testimonies. Acts 11.23 says, When He came, and this is talking about Barnabas, Barnabas came and saw the grace of God and he saw it in the lives of the new believers there. It says he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Barnabas saw the grace of God, the power of God acting in their lives to do what they could have never done on their own and he was glad to see it. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. That word under means of or by. So Paul was saying you are of grace. You are by grace. You are of, by, and under the power of God acting in your life to do what you are unable to do on your own. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul writes, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
We look at the apostles and the people in the Bible and we want to set them up on a pedestal. But you look at these people's lives. Look at the life of Moses or, or any of uh, Samson, you know, David. These, these men were human beings who failed miserably in so many ways. And the apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He killed believers. And it was only by the grace of God that he could come to God in salvation. And then here Paul's saying, none of it's of me. Yeah, I'm outdoing everybody else, but not one ounce of credit comes to me. It's all by the grace of God. And that grace isn't just that covering of the sin. It's the power of God to do action in this moment that is of God and from God that we could never accomplish on our own. That's grace. That's the grace of God acting in our lives. Then Paul went on to write in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That was an answer from God to Paul when he was talking about an area in his life of weakness. But it was God acting in his life to accomplish what only God could accomplish. And in that, it was sufficient for Paul's weakness. So that the power of Christ, the power to perform, would rest upon him. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's a gift of God. We do nothing to earn it. But he's willing to freely pour it out on us if we ask and we'll use it. If we'll use it as the fuel we need to live our spiritual life. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Get your strength from the grace of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Come to God's throne of grace in confidence And find the grace that you need, the fuel that you need in your time of need. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. He's got more grace to give. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because we know that it only comes from Him. Nothing is of ourselves, not of our own strength or ability, but only by the grace of God. And He's always willing to give you more. We're going to close with 1 Peter 5.10. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, The God of all grace. Not some, not a portion. We serve the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords who is the God of all grace. He has it all. And it says, He is the one who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. And He Himself will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you and He will establish you by grace. 
His grace, His strength, His power. Because He is the God of all grace. We have to stop using the fact that we can't earn grace as an excuse for not seeking to receive grace. We have to constantly receive His grace and be filled up again and again and again. How many of you have a car that you've only had to fill up once? If you use it, you've got to go get more. If we, we all know our, ourselves well enough to know that if we were to come to God and He were to give us everything that we need, we would never come back to God. I know myself well enough. I'm good. I can take care of it. I don't need you anymore. But God didn't build us that way. He didn't build us that way physically and He didn't build us that way spiritually because He wants us to come back to Him again and again and again. But we have to use that fuel to live on, to do His will, and then we've got to go back to Him constantly to get filled again. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus Christ, we must constantly rely upon the action of God in our lives, and that's His grace. Grace is the fuel that we need to burn to live that life, not just daily, moment by moment. Every moment of every day, we need to be fueled by God's power to act in our life to do what He can only do. What we could never do on our own, in our own ability, in our own strength. We must be burning His grace all the time. It's the only way that we're accomplishing things, doing things that are going to last in His kingdom. That will last for all eternity. That will survive that fire. So that we can get in there with something other than us. There's three areas that I feel like this message speaks to. And I just want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to respond. The first one is, if you're here this morning or if you're joining us online and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you haven't experienced that first grace, the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the gift that He is offering you to come to Him in a relationship with Him, that you might have that new life, that you might be born uh, a baby into the kingdom of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. No one should disdain their physical birth or their spiritual birth. We all have to go through it. That's where we all start. There's nothing wrong with a spiritual baby. The only thing wrong is if 30 years later we're still a baby. Any parent in here doesn't want to be changing the diaper of your 18-year-old. They have to grow up. They have to mature. We want them to grow. And it's the same thing in our spiritual life. But if you haven't been birthed into that kingdom, there's no shame in that. Start today. Receive Him today. Believe on Him today. And you will receive the grace, the mercy of God and be alive in His kingdom and can start that process of maturity. The second group of people would be people who have who have received Jesus Christ in their life. You know that you have a relationship with Him, but this morning you feel empty. Your grace tank is empty. And you need to be filled. 
All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is come to Him and be ready to get filled up again because He is the God of all grace, of all sufficiency, ready to pour it out. And you can come with boldness to the throne of grace, to the God of all grace, and be filled again. The last group is those of us that may have a full tank and we just let it sit at the house. You may not be tired. You may not be worn out. You may feel like you're filled, but you're not burning any grace. You're not doing what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to get out and testify like the disciples did. It said they were, they were seen with great grace because they were pouring it out as they testified of the, of the work that Jesus Christ had accomplished. We have to use it. We've got to get out and drive our spiritual cars around. We've got to burn through grace if we're living the life that God's called us to lead. And then we go back to the God of grace that we might be filled up again. If you'll bow your heads with me, if you're, as we pray, if you're responding to any one of these three areas, I just ask you would, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, just that you would raise your hand and say, Lord, I want you, and I'm responding to one of these three areas. Either I'm coming to you for the first time, I'm empty and I need to fill up, or I'm full and I need to start burning some fuel. Father God, we ask, we come to you, the God of grace, we come to the throne of grace, that you might pour out your mercy and grace on those of us who are coming to a relationship with you for the first time. For those of us that our tank is empty, that you would fill us up with your grace, with your power, with your abundant ability to do and accomplish in our life what only you can accomplish. And if we're sitting there with a full tank, Father, I just pray through the Holy Spirit, you'd give us a kick in the pants, that we'd get up and start moving, that we would start burning through your grace, and that we'd come back to you to fill us up again. Fill us with your grace, Lord, that we might consume it, burn it as fuel for our spiritual life. We want our spiritual life to function, Lord. And then fill us again and again and again as we use it again and again and again. Lord, we ask that you keep us humble as we see your works abound in your kingdom because you promise us if we're walking in this way, you are going to do what only you can do, and that's great things. But we will know that all glory and all honor and all power belong to you and only you because it's by your grace alone. As the fullness of your grace upon grace upon grace abounds to us. Father, we give you all glory and honor and power this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. And I thought I was going to open the service with it, but as soon as I heard what Chris was talking about in the first service, I knew this was a close. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We can accept each other and our differences and attitudes and smells. Because of God's grace, His never-ending, limitless grace provided to us through His Son and His sacrifice. 
in order that we might be able to live with each other and accept one another. And that's all he's asking us to do. Let me give you a few quick announcements. Today's the last day to let the church know of the name of a senior that you would like to be honored on Senior Sunday. We're going to pray over them. We're going to give them a a little gift and send them out into their next phase of life. So if you know of a senior that wants to be or needs to be honored and prayed for, let us know their name today so we can make that preparation. There's only one more night of NCC Kids on Wednesday night. So parents, if you've got a kid that goes to that, make some plans. What are you going to do with your kids after this is over? Um, They need a place to go. This month, this next month in May, we're not going to have a throne room encounter. We're going to do something else instead just for the month of May. We've got some close friends of Evan and Janina Lecker. They're going to be here on May 1st for a night of worship. Now, that's a Sunday night from 6 to 7 here in the auditorium. Um, This group, uh, this couple, they call themselves Abacasa. They've been involved in the music industry for a long time, and they've even wrote some songs that wrote Written. They've written some songs that we sing here at New Covenant. Y'all might, might know Lost and Found, Heart Song, Surrendered City, we sang last week. They wrote those songs. They're going to be here from 6 to 7, Sunday, May 1st. So y'all come and enjoy that. Thursday, May 5th at 7 a.m., Thursday morning, 7 a.m., in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to join in a community-wide National Day of Prayer. Let us help you. I know I don't have time to come pray before work. Skip breakfast, get a breakfast taco and coffee on us on your way out. So come and pray for the nation with us on that day. And, and again, thank you all for attending first service last week. You made it possible for a lot more people to be here. And I know lives were reached. Let me pray real quick. Father God, I thank you, Father God, that your grace is, is limitless and can abound through us as we let it. So, Lord, thank you. We don't get to hold on to it. Every bit of grace you give to us, let us provide that and and show that to those around us so that they can see your glory and we can bring glory to you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a beautiful week together. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to this week's message.